Welcome to the Queer Arabs podcast. This is Alia. This is Nadia. And this is Adam. And we are here with a really special guest. Hi, everyone. It's Amru Al Qadi here, or Glamru. Glamru. I love <laughs> that. Oh my god, I love that. Also, it <laughs> yeah. matches your aesthetic. Well, that's like, your that's your Insta handle, right? Yeah, it's my it's my. Glamour is her brand. No, that's like my drag name, my my alter ego. Just she's. I need to get that name patented, to be honest. Yeah, someone's gonna take it. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> Let's yeah, be real. Yeah, yeah. Get on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've had that. I've been using that nickname for like over a decade. I'm obsessed with it. Yeah, I I'm obsessed too. <laughs> that's really good um so can you tell everyone um what you do professionally i'm a drag queen by the name of uh glam Roo, um and been doing kind of kind of performances for nearly a decade sort of exploring arab heritage and queerness and um kind of islamic identity and queerness and write my own material a lot through that and so so from that i've also been writing for a while, mostly um, screenwriting, kind of original stuff in development, but also like uh, an episode for a show called Little America. We I read the finale, co-wrote the finale for that, and um, a new show called The Watch, which I think is coming out on BBC America in January. So, and all always trying to sort of bring in a queer Arab sort of perspective into things. And my book, uh, Life as a Unicorn, is out in the states and uh, in the UK currently. Okay, so I want to touch on all of that, but just to start off, how did you first get into drag and what was that experience like? Well, I mean, I'd always wanted to do it. I mean, definitely like when I was uh, growing up in Dubai and Bahrain, I didn't really want to sort of join in with any of like the boys' activities and was always quite um, enraptured by by my mum and also just just a lot of the women that I was surrounding myself with. So I always knew that I wanted to... um, sort of wear what they were wearing and experiment with what they were doing and and and, and sort of um expressing myself with a lot of their kind of um vernacular and and fashion and that kind of stuff but then i when i was uh, at, a, at a british school when i was 16 um it was an all boys school and so i was always asked to play the leading lady and so that was like my first kind of toe into sort of you know dressing up as women or playing female characters but um that wasn't so much drag in the fact that you know it wasn't sort of creating a character out of myself or using my own experience was definitely sort of inhabiting a character in a play but then when I got to university you know almost by sort of impulse I just decided to start a drag night even though I had no idea what I was doing and I'd never really done drag and just um kind of put an ad out on Facebook and was like everyone I'm gonna be in drag tonight who else wants to come and loads of I think like 400 students go um, oh wow <laughs> Damn. I know I know and nice I was so kind of, yeah I know yeah. actually it wasn't an ad I don't think I think it was just like a like a group but you know this was like we were at Cambridge and it's small university quite a kind of stuffy one so I think as soon as people were like wait what a drag night like oh my god like because it was sort of the first of its kind so I think everyone was just like really desperate I think it was also the end of second term and so by that point everyone's so exhausted from from work so i think everyone was just really okay. up for it yeah i mean That's and i gave a really yeah. terrible a really <laughs> terrible performance i'm sure 
I did not realize you grew up in Dubai. I also went to an all-boys British school in Dubai growing up. I, no way. I actually, no, I was in a British school when I was back, when I, I was in the UK by the time I was 12. Right. I was, I was at Shreyfat when I was in Dubai. Oh, yeah. I went to Wellington in Dubai. Oh, that's cool. Oh, I meant, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's 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 interesting that you describe like actually doing drag as like making a persona out of yourself because I've I've kind of been thinking about that too I've like dabbled in drag on occasions and like people you know like everyone thinks it's about the gender performance aspect which like yeah that's definitely it but then there's it's also something else like it's different than just yeah. dressing up as some character of a, yeah, a certain gender performance it's also it, it's it's both like not to get too deep, but it's also you. Like it's it's about creating a character that's not you, but there's also grains of you within it. And yeah. when you feel like there's like a drag performer that has like really nailed their character, it's because they've found something that's very personal to them and making something that's also really different right. from how they are in regular life. Yeah, totally. So, like yeah. I I I've never really like sort of seen drag as you know some kind of more traditional pageant queens or call it mm -hmm. you know, female female impersonation or that kind of thing that's not to be honest like when i'm glamour i'm never really that actively thinking about gender that much you know it's never like a i mean i definitely am feeling you know a kind of gender euphoria or a sort of a manifestation of like my feminists or whatever but like in terms of um you know, drag as like actively critiquing or exploring gender. I think definitely like academically, but like for me, like when I'm glamour, I'm in basically just inhabiting all these sides of myself that had previously been um, kind of policed or denied, or I wasn't allowed to back in the Middle East, or or I wasn't able to be feminine. And also I wasn't able to ever really um, access the bits of my heritage that I really like, sort of like I was talking about, like, you know, everything that the women were wearing and all that kind of stuff. So in drag, it's more like I suddenly have um, the license to to perform and express these things that are inherently part of me, but that I'd previously not been privileged to do that. So it's like a, a very honest, you know, I think people often think about drag as like artifice or faking mm -hmm. gender, but mm -hmm. for me, and I think there's so many different kinds of drag, of course, but like for me, it's never really about that. It's like actually manifesting something inherently um, true. Yeah, that, that was beautifully put. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was the transition like uh, from, how, how did you kind of uh, find that bridge between drag and then starting to do writing? To be honest, they're kind of like part of the same, I think, drive to sort of express like the truth of my experiences and other people's experiences. I mean, in drag, you are essentially creating an, a world that's your own and you are, you know, building it from the ground up and you're, you know, creating a character, but not really a character, but, you know, you know you're building a, a kind of aesthetic and a, and a narrative and that kind of stuff. And, and just like by the pragmatism of just like writing my stand-up material for when I was in drag it was just like that just sort of gave me the writing bug and then because I was you know like a performer for, for so long and my kind of uh, performing agent at the time was only ever able to get me um, 
it's not my current agent who's amazing, but but before that, only really able to get me sort of terrorist work or like really kind of really boring Arab representation. You know, I was able through drag to just sort of create worlds that I felt like I could celebrate being myself. And then just by virtue of reading so many terrible scripts where Arabs are represented badly, I was just like, oh, I guess I should write them myself. And so I initially was writing scripts to be in them myself. And then that kind of changed. And now, you know, I kind of have caught the bug of sort of, you know, writing to create sort of counter narratives to some of the ones that are happening in the world right now. Yeah, yeah. just backtracking for one second, because we've been talking about this with other guests lately. Do you have any um, stories you want to share about playing terrorists or boring Arabs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so many, really. I mean, I'm trying to think. I mean, there, there were just so many times that, like, you know, I was getting called in to play, you know, a cold-blooded killer who was, like, you know, I remember once going to a casting at, like, I was 17. I was so kind of thin and lanky and very feminine. And there's so many other fun parts I would want to do. And I was literally supposed to play this, like, man who, like, rapes all these white women and then um you know blows up a village and it was just a bit like do you really think that I'm gonna do this convincingly like me like it was like <laughs> almost like what like why I remember saying to the casting director being like I'm gonna be really bad in this audition and I'd often have casting directors <laughs> laugh but to be honest that's very rarely very rarely do I get scripts where I'm like I want to be in that now it's all just about I just write scripts because I just know they're going to be bad in terms of Arab representation. Yeah, Unless it's yeah. an Arab writing it, you know. Did Were there any roles that you were like, I'm going to take this because this is going to kind of get me in the door and then I'll see what happens? I mean, I was in Munich, which was um, Steven Spielberg's film. And, you know, I played a terrorist's son, so not quite a terrorist. Oh, that's um, a terrorist um, adjacent. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, terrorist adjacent. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I will um, say I, I do like that film, though. Yeah, I actually only watched my bit, lol. Um, lol. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I when I really think about like that time, you know, when because I signed with an agent when I was like thirteen, out of someone came to see me perform in like a drama school thing, and I remember just think, and you know, for me initially, performing was this really um, liberating place where I could kind of just let it all hang out and just be myself and then all of a sudden it was like it really made me hate it because I was like I'm only ever being racially profiled um and so I really fell out of love with performing and it was actually only at university when I started doing drag that I kind of re, re fell in love with it but it just makes me think a little bit about like a lot of the internalized racism I had in terms of hating my heritage and my um and and my race could not that surely contributed because I was only ever being able to perform narratives that were about you know Arabs and Muslims sort of being barbaric yeah totally I mean like yeah. like media affects how we see ourselves anyway and then when you're actually playing that role it's just like double fold yeah totally I guess speaking of writing do you want to talk about unicorn the memoir like haven't read it yet. Haven't read it yet, but I'm going to for sure. Um, but like for listeners, if you want to give like 
Yeah, tell people what to expect and yeah, why they should check it out. It's it's a memoir, but what I've tried to do with it is sort of explore the feeling of kind of having identities that are kind of kind of quote unquote intersectional in terms of having identities that kind of straddle multiple social groups definitely I think when people think of like intersectionality or whatever they think a lot about like ooh, kind of it's all one sort of harmonious pool where all identities sort of kind of affect one another but what I kind of try and stage in the book is to look at like if you have an identity that intersects across for me queerness and Islam and and other things um it's less like sort of like a kind of um formless experience where you kind of co-inhabit all these different sides of yourself but more like you're constantly inhabiting one of those sides and having to sacrifice the other depending on what space that you move to and so the book kind of really really stages I suppose like a lifelong journey of trying to find one identity that fits and that involves you know like renouncing renouncing my heritage and trying to be a white person for a bit and then trying to be you know a fully queer person that had nothing to do with religion and then trying to be a religious person that had nothing to do with queerness and that kind of thing and try and in, in a way to try and show the sort of um kind of fragmentation and um uh sort of constant dysphoria queer arabs can have when kind of having multiple identities and i and i just try and do it with humor and just by um relaying my personal experiences as honestly as i can and to show the experiences that this can have on our mental health sex life but also to look at kind of queer ideas about um religion and other things and a lot a lot it's a lot of it's about drag as well and how drag is a way in which to sort of weave various sides of your identity together yeah that fragmentation of like one's identity being written out like that sounds very validating and yeah i can't wait to read it oh thanks yeah yeah i think that um that kind of like renouncing of heritage or religion is i think a lot of us go through that because it's like once someone tells you like this culture does not include you then you you believe it and then you're like okay it doesn't include me but i'm just gonna like fuck off and yeah uh, go do this other thing and then um i think a lot of at some point there's kind of this re-realization of like oh no this other space that i thought was there to like include me for all i am it's it's not really i don't really belong here either and then you try to like get in touch with the culture again and then you're told or you're given the sense that you don't fully like you can't bring your whole self back to that and then you have to figure out like okay what what part of myself do I have to like leave at the door when I go into this space and then you eventually get tired of doing that (laughs) totally totally yeah you are constantly trying to um assimilate into whatever space you know you're so desperate to belong to one that you're kind of suddenly just sort of sacrifice some part of yourself in order to belong to another and I don't think 
um, a lot of white queer people feel this as strongly as queer people of color who are constantly in, you know, just the sort of impossibility of trying to inhabit all of yourself in one place is really quite hard. I kind of want to talk about, um, so lately you've been uh, working on some like more, I guess, like mainstream run projects such as Little America. And uh, what's that mm-hmm. process been like, you know, working with maybe like a larger um production team but still wanting to like maintain the authenticity of your voice and what you want to communicate there yeah i mean like you know there's like uh so many kind of negotiations that take place when you're working with a real big corporation or whatever i mean i think you know in the initial you definitely have to think about okay well who's this going for so like with something like little america it's like okay so this is like Apple, so this is going into like even red states in America. I mean, this is like going everywhere. So you know, I'm thinking that like once that happens, I I, th- I I'm trying to think of like, well, how how best can I like smuggle in my politics in a way that feels like accessible and um, packageable. And actually, I find that you always can if you just write really human characters because like no matter what drama it is, you know, whether it's succession, where they're all assholes, but they're written, you know, with such humanity or the the reason I'm so drawn to storytelling, particularly in a kind of post fake news disinformation world is I do think people just recognize humanity, even despite some political prejudices, like, you know, with succession, I hate all those people, but like I still care about them weirdly just because of how how good the writing is. So for me, that's what like I'm really hoping is that like if I can kind of try and write these characters as sort of humanly as possible, then hopefully people will connect. And particularly with this episode, which was about um, a gay Syrian and a gay Iraqi immigrant who leave the Middle East because of um, who leave Syria and then you know in Iraq because of um, uh, you know, homophobia there. I think there was a real fear on my part that it would look a little bit like, you know, scary brown Amer- brown land and they come to America, the promised land, and they're safe. So in that, I really try to rejoice in a lot of the wonderful parts of uh, Syrian and Iraqi culture and, and the kind of concentration of family and to also really understand where that homophobia is coming from in Islam and what... And and why, why you know? So there's a there's a monologue which I wouldn't want to give away, but you know, there's an explanation as to why this person's family, you know, did something so vile to him. And I tried to show the humanity of it only because I just thought, like, I don't want to feed into anyone's idea that like, you know, Islam is inherently regressive because like all religions have major problems. Um, so I. So I just wanted to show empathy with all the characters and hope that no matter who was watching it or despite their kind of sexuality or race or political affiliations could kind of like recognize the humanity of it. Yeah, this has been coming up for us a lot lately of the the topic of characters being needing to be realistically messy. Um, Like if you're looking for um, Arab character to relate to you're not going to relate to someone who does everything perfectly and who is like this 
I don't know. Either like there are two. The two. The flip side would be like the terrorist or the, model the like minority. model yeah. minority who never fucks up and like. Um, and then you, when you read that character, you're like, okay, that sounds nice, but I, I, I don't know this person. <laughs> I don't yeah, know this I, person. Think, I think especially yeah. when we're thinking about like mainstream audiences like this is gonna go to red america um yeah it's like there's an impulse to kind of censor everything up so it doesn't um like exacerbate racism but i think it, right. it, that it's ultimately counterproductive because then you get these like inhuman characters that no one can relate to yeah whether like other arabs can't relate to it and also like person in texas or like white there's a lot of people you're you were in texas i don't want sorry yeah. not to generalize about texas um, no no like but white racist real. in texas also can't relate <laughs> yeah. to that person yeah yeah i as somebody who's also a writer and creator i relate to this struggle so much because i'm constantly thinking about what are ways that one can tell a story in a way that doesn't just show one arab person because like the danger of the single narrative i feel like is the most toxic part of so much of how we're being represented because when somebody's just when a demographic is just being represented through one person then when that person fucks up like it's really easy to be like oh and that's why all these people are like that and what i loved about like first of all i love like from the very big like in that in your episode uh the very beginning of it it just felt like the the kind of depiction of family arab life is just so not something i've ever seen in like western media before you always see people like especially when the Levant being like, oh, we have a war now or something is happening. And it was just like right. a nice family having dinner. And it was so, like, I saw that and I was like, oh, I've been in that room. I feel, this, whoever wrote this, like, has been in that place. I felt that in a way that, like, I don't feel with so much of what I see. Oh, uh, thanks. Like, yeah, uh, that, did, that dinner scene was um, was important for us to, to start the episode in, in right. terms of just showing, like, something really mundane and kind of ordinary. I mean, yeah, I, I, I do think there is a real problem with, of, you know, we're only allowed sort of exceptional um, right. minorities on screen. And that's something that I definitely coming up against, um, particularly like in the UK, what I found is um, for my script to get kind of green lit, I haven't had as much success in the UK as I have had in America, funnily enough, but well, I have, in terms of getting something on screen, but they need, if it's about minorities, so I had something about a queer Arab drag queen and, and the level that we were expected to get to in terms of quality was so much higher than some of my contemporaries who had, I think, quite good scripts, but they weren't that great who were just progressing far quicker because it, there was almost this feeling of like, well, if Amru's crazy script about the Arab drag queen, if we're going to give money to this, every single joke has to be off the scale and every single um, uh, beat has to be incredible. Otherwise, why should we watch it? So I think it's not only what you see on screen, but it's also what's expected of, you know, queer POC writers is that like if you are going to get a chance you, it's going to be so good and as a result we all work so hard to try and you know to whereas like I see you know quite average white guys who you know have they've actually also failed on their series and they get given another choice I guarantee you if like I write a series and it fails I won't get given another one 
Yeah, right. they're like, oh, we'll we'll take a chance on you if. Yeah, and that's why that's perfect. another reason that like I really despise the like narratives of like this is the first blank to have happened. Like, yeah, yeah. One of the first like one of the first Asian American play. I think the first Asian American play to happen on Broadway was like in 2016, and it actually was like not a good play. Um, and the problem with with that was that like the whole community at the time was saying that like oh we probably won't get another play now for 10 years because this mm. one play that was like so heavily marketed as the first asian american play on broadway kind of sucked i hate that too great. it's like why can't yeah. it just well, be a shitty play yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well i definitely have that with like you know i have other queer poc talent in the uk that i'm friends with and you know we've talked about how like commissioners will be like oh maybe we can't commission your work because we've just commissioned this other guy's script who's like gay and pakistanian and you're like they're what? completely different yeah. <laughs> what? Or, or, that's ridiculous you know, you know and it's like they've commissioned 20 of the same thing before so like it yeah it makes us compete with each other and also i don't like the first thing either because like you know what about like all the people who came before you know, yeah. In, yeah. even like the cleaners in the building or all that other stuff that men, you know, I hate the first thing because it's just like, again, it's the exceptionalism, exceptionalism thing of like, right. this, this person of color beat the odds. And it's just like, it's, it feels, it's too much pressure. Right. I always get, so I always get told that like, oh, you know, you would be the first Arab on our team. I'm like, if I do badly, then like, holy fuck, I hope I haven't ruined it for all the other Arabs. Yeah, like no pressure. Right. Yeah, I was like, can I get a second one too? Just to like <laughs> take the pressure. Yeah. No. no, I know. I want to actually talk about the moment you talked about earlier uh, in the piece when he explains to, I don't know how much I should spoil this, but when he explains to like the man he meets in Jordan, like why his father did what he did, which I also, that was a moment that I resonated with deeply because it also was a moment where I didn't like, obviously I didn't agree with what happened to him and it was horrific, but I also felt like it was contextualized in a way where I, I couldn't just like vilify the whole family and be like, they're horrible and this whole culture is horrible. It actually like, it felt very, it felt like he was at peace with it in a way that made me be in some ways at peace with it. It's quite um, early on, you know, in our queer journeys or whatever, especially if you've had a hard time with family, you know, and if your family have said or done anything abusive or whatever, you know, you can just in your head go, right, all my family are evil and I'm free now and that's that. But it's quite right. a sort of um, reductive, almost quite binary view of it. And I don't think it's that helpful in terms of mental health because, like, you know, you're not really interrogating the, the humanity of what's happened. And definitely, I think for a lot of, like, queer Arabs I talk to, the act of sort of not forgiving the abuse that they've received, but sort of going, well, my parents were also victims of, you know, the patriarchy in a way, um, and they were also sort of ensnared in these systems that have hurt me, and this is why they did what they did, but I've evolved past them, or I've you know, I would never do that because, you know, they've internalized it so much or whatever. But like, I think it, it, it does help um, stop seeing, you know, everyone who, you know, maybe hurt you in your childhood is pure evil, even though it really hurt. But sometimes you can just go, it was an evil action that was actually because, and you know, when you start to interrogate homo homophobia in the Middle East and it's linked to 
sort of colonialism, you know, you can start to not just see it as this like awful, evil Arab problem. So, the, I mean, and in terms of like that scene in in Little America, I think what it's a, he's sort of with a white guy who sort of says, "Oh my God, you know what your dad did to you is barbaric," and I really wanted the character to be like, oh, a white boy, like, you know, you may see it as like barbaric and aggressive, but let me just explain the context in which it happened. Not in a way to forgive it, but just to be like, it's complicated. You know, I really wasn't trying to say the dad was a good person at the end. You know, I do right. think though, yeah. like I, I wanted to empathize with him only in terms of a writer way, but just because I think like, if in my head, the dad was like a pure villain, then right. it would be really bad drama. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, because there's no because he loves his kid. He he loves his kid. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, and, I think first he... of all, like you said, that's just good writing, making complex characters. And then yeah. more personally, I don't know. Some something I say sometimes is reasons are different than excuses. Like that doesn't mm -hmm. just because we want to like understand and acknowledge the reasons that people are yeah. a certain way or act a certain way. It's not the same as excusing them. It's just. We need to understand the reasons of everything. I think that's what we really need to do. I don't think we need to excuse things, but you know, why is there this massive homophobic problem in some Arab countries? Like, I don't mm. think you want to just go, it's all shit, end it all. <laughs> because actually, like... Yeah, um, actually don't. <laughs> yeah. You know, you want to actually interrogate it. Um, but yeah, no, I'm glad you like that bit. Going back to something you said earlier about like being the one person where they're like you're the only Arab we've had or like you're the first blah 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 and then um and then also the oh we've already had someone who fits this profile or who's like somewhat like this profile you know um that reminds me of this writer who was talking about like he wrote a book about a uh, queer Syrian refugee experience and then he's writing another book about the same, like someone with the same. It's also like, about a about queer Syrian, a queer Syrian yeah, refugee, yeah. And he keeps getting questions of like, oh, Wasn't but your last book you already that? did that. Like, why are you doing that again? And he's like, okay, so there's only, ex there's exactly one slot. I don't know. I, I, and, and he just obviously gets really frustrated and it's like, no one's a, like, we're not a monolith and uh, it's okay if there are like two humans who or like two books were two books to talk about, about two different humans. Um, but there's also the opposite of that, where yeah. you try to do multiple, where you try to do something else. People are like, no, but that's your thing. Like I, ex I experience this all the time, where I've written mm -hmm. a, a couple of plays that are like clearly coming from a queer Arab lens. Yeah. And now if I like, I try to. I want to write a play right now that's like set in the evangelical church, and people are like, "But why? You should just keep writing Arab plays." And I'm oh, like, like, "I yeah, have perspectives and opinions beyond just being like a queer Arab." Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I have this problem as well, where people only expect me to do stuff about Arabs, but it's just like, mm -hmm. definitely in the UK, like I keep um, getting sort of told that like oh wow like your voice is so different and and niche and stuff and 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 so it'll be harder to like make i don't know like so i'm finding that the whole kind of diversity conversation a little bit superficial just because like i don't really think people are putting their money where their mouth is in any meaningful way yet so like and then when they do one as you say they go right we've done that for a we while so we don't need to do that, that again 
Um, and also they then exclude other ones because they're like, oh, we can't have you now just because we've had Anne with you. And I would hate that if like someone wasn't able to get a job because of me or vice, you know, and I've, it's happened to me before. I've been like, ooh, we actually can't take your script because we had something on drag come in. And I was like, what, whatever, what was it? But it was a white drag queen and I'm sure it was really shit. So like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also like the conversation on like unique and niche, it's like, it's like, it's clearly from people who have such a limited view of the world. I'm like, no, I, I, I don't, I, is it particularly unique? No, there's a bunch <laughs> of people. And um, yeah. I don't know, on the niche topic, like things that I've done that were specifically geared towards like queer and Middle Eastern audiences, like a lot of times they've had like way more turnout than quote unquote, like mainstream performance events I've done. It's like okay. totally like like my episode of Little America like really it had one of the best responses because I think it was so specific and I actually think the more sort of specific or niche something is the more universal it will actually be just because it's like mm -hmm. oh this is real and it's based on a real experience I mean I had a show that went all the way to the I won't say with a British broadcaster and it got rejected because it was not it was too specific and I just don't really know what that means because like when I watch period dramas like Downton Abbey or basically any British drama, which is just like, you know, white, white gentry, like that like, feels... That's also specific. Yeah, and not in a way that I relate to, but I can still watch it and enjoy it. And you're like, isn't everyone entitled to be specifically themselves i never wanted to watch a vague tv show <laughs> yeah. actually no i watched glee for a while let's be real we didn't That's... really know what the plot of that <laughs> was so i have watched non-specific tv but in general we acknowledge it's not great it's not great <laughs> yeah yeah um, yeah, yeah let's not so attack like... glee i'm not attacking no. it i watched the whole season <laughs> i'm just saying yeah. Is it, could it be called specific? No. <laughs> yeah, it's like, why Why can one demographic, like, I don't know. Like, why is one demographic, like, like you don't get to getting have licensed? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, why does one demographic get licensed to, like, dive deep into their own specific or, quote, niche realities and... Um, that's not seen as niche because if it's like um, mm -hmm, exactly the white majority can relate quote unquote I don't know there's, like, like there's false... not even a white majority no there's not even a white majority like people have a, a false I conception that, of yeah. yeah no no like because I, I, I hear that too and it's like yeah no people like literally have a false conception of what yeah the main what the quote unquote general public is. right yeah it's literally not the majority. Yeah. 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 So, I don't yeah. Know. Exactly. I, do you want to talk about anything you're working on now or any um, exciting projects you have planned for the future? I'm working on a pilot for BBC drama in the UK uh, called Targets, which is a horror, actually. I've never written a horror. I won't say too much about it yet, but it's about uh, white liberals tokenizing and fetishizing people of color. Um, yeah. So right on topic with yeah. what we're talking about. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's it's sort of it's almost like a parody about diversity targets, and it turns into like a crazy ass horror. Um, so I'm ex I'm excited about it. Yeah, we saw it, Liz like mentioned on your website, and remember we were like, ooh, a horror drama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um well, it's yeah, but it's also quite funny. I mean, I really just don't want to say too much because the whole thing is is based okay. on twists. 
and like okay. I just want people to but I mean so I'll be writing that and then I guess the BBC will make their decision early next year um, and then if it's a yes then I then I guess it'll probably be coming out at the end of next year or maybe 2021 BBC, 2022 since BBC since I know you listen to the queer Arabs make the right mm-hmm. decision yeah well, maybe oh, they do. Do they? <laughs> no, we don't know. <laughs> no, <we're> t- <laughs> um, I wish. I mean, I've had someone from BBC Arabia contact us. That's one. true. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, I don't think BBC is listening right now, but if they are, they should, <laughs> they should go through this. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. Um, yeah. I mean, just we don't generally know when things are going to be able to stop, like, filming again right. post-COVID. So, fingers crossed. I mean, I'd love to make that show. I'm sure it would ruffle a lot of feathers that's what we aim to do yeah i think some feathers need to be ruffled yeah some feathers are a little bit too smooth yeah yeah exactly i agree um you you touched on this a little bit but i'm I'm also just kind of curious like what are the differences you've experienced between um the entertainment industries in the uk and the us um apart from like you said maybe the uk has this higher bar of perfection if you're um, POC? Well, I mean, there's just many differences. I mean, I think, like, firstly, like, the American market is obviously just, like, a lot bigger. So, like, you, know, you just have so many more channels and there's a lot more money in it. So I do think, you know, shows like Rami or or Pose or Transparent, you know, we're not there yet with the UK, only because we have, like, three channels that we can commission for and the budgets are so much smaller that people are, like, way less willing to take risks because so as a result like minority writers in the UK just don't get shows made made we write on other people's shows or you know we get script commissions but just when it comes to like making the you know the the three million pound question commissioners are just really safe and most of the commissioners in the UK are are white and quite middle class and and there's a real fear of like audiences you know, we don't really even have UKS VODs, really. You know, we just use American ones. So, like, there's a real fear of people turning off the TV or whatever. So, so there's that. And also, unlike America, which obviously has its fair share of problems, but the sort of progressive middle class in the UK doesn't think racism is a thing, really. And it's never really thought about colonialism in the same way the progressive middle class in America has. I think thought about slavery a bit better and there's a kind of awareness. So like, and the UK is obviously really transphobic, even on the left and progressive circles. So like a lot of the time, you know, when commissioners will say, Oh, you know, we've already got one of you or this is too niche or too risky. They don't quite understand racism because there's been no major cultural conversation. So I've definitely found the reason that maybe I've had stuff made in America is there's a much more literate um, conversation about race just by virtue of the fact that there has been a historical a kind of awareness of it, whereas it's changing in the UK. And, you know, we've just had a really successful show called I May Destroy You, and people are looking at that and going, oh, wow, Ooh. maybe. It was so good. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. And I think it just shows that if you just let POC talent just tell their own stories, it'll just be specific nuanced and really resonant and so so yeah so let's see i mean i'm hopeful and you know we'll keep working hard 
Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. I, I was listening to um, another podcast where people were talking about like the differences in acknowledging racism in the U.S. And this wasn't specifically about the U.K. It was more about um, Europe continental and, Europe. Yeah, yeah. but I, I guess it could apply too. And it's like th- there is something to it. Like it, in in Europe, white people don't have to engage with the fact that they're settler colonialists on that land. And that's they true. Don't. But that it. doesn't mean that... So, yes, like, the circumstances are different, but that doesn't mean there's not racism, and that doesn't mean, yeah. you know, like, you colonized a lot mm-hmm. of other land, and you're seeing the consequences in your borders. Like, that doesn't mean there's nothing there, but it, it's... Yeah. There's right. something and different, also, um, and people take it too far. But also, like, yeah. if you think about, like, the fact that our major televisual export is period dramas um, that are, in Britain, that is, that are of kind of the colonial era but it's not you never see anything about the right. truth of the colonialism yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah you kind of just see the romp of of people you know dressed gorgeously so a lot of british drama until very very recently has um looked at the past you know we make so many world war one and world war two dramas so yeah. many with 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 the sort of um kind of glorified lens yes there's um, so much glamour like yeah portrayed. and then and... so so if someone like me comes along and is like oh i want to make there are people are almost like wait why are you making something that feels a bit angry or this when things were peaceful anyway you know right but what if they never were maybe yeah. you just like threw a bunch of gloss over yeah empire. Yeah. yeah exactly guys i'm gonna have to go relatively soon but okay do, do yeah. you yeah, just because. Um, yeah, this is great. Let's wrap it up. Um, yeah. where can people okay. follow you? Uh, just I'm on both Twitter and Instagram as Glamrou, so G L A M R O U, and um, all like kind of updates on my projects are on amruelcardi.com. Cool, and then oh, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the Queer Arabs, and email us at thequeerarabs at gmail And our website, where you can find all episodes and descriptions, are the queer Ar- are at thequeerarabs.com we're also on pretty much every podcast app including spotify now hey. which is a recent development so oh, cool yeah <laughs> finally um thank thanks you. so much for doing thank this thank you so much this was great thank you to connect. yeah thank thanks you, guys Amber.